an hour of just open heaven. Yes. It felt like to me I, that I come to just really love that whole hour because it, at one point I felt prompted to write in my journal. This is the kind of atmosphere where anything can happen. Anything can happen right here. I mean, the Lord could walk in the door, and you just start to think that man, that, this is this is awesome. I, I I I'm sure it takes a lot out of you, but it sure is rich. So thank yeah. you. Um, last we talked about Daniel was four months, five states, and eight thousand miles ago for me. <laughs> so. Uh, um, we, it's been a while, we, we left off on chapter nine and, uh, um, and yet we have more to do. Uh, Amy's right, these, these sections of, um, of Daniel 10, 11, and 12, it's all one vision, it's all one thing, it's all one unit, you know, and so we're, we're gonna launch into Daniel 10 right here. Um, I wonder um, if, uh, um, if anybody wants to read the entire chapter, which is only 21 verses long, anybody, or, uh, or we can split it, but uh, I would love it if we could do that. Oh, so open your Bibles to Daniel chapter uh, 10. <clears throat> um, uh, anybody want to start and just read and, until you get tired? Okay. the appointed time was long and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision in those days I Daniel was mourning three four weeks I ate no pleasant food no meat or wine came into my mouth nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled now on the 24th day of the first month as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, 
one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Great. And I'll add one more verse because most people think that the first verse of chapter 11 goes with 10. So no one stands uh, uh, firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Um, and so, uh, and then... And now, so many people think, well, that chapter breaks probably the wrong place. By the way, there are uh, notes, very brief notes, uh, but if you are a note person, I don't have very many of them, but uh, there's, there's one here we can share. Um, so uh, here we are in Daniel 10. Daniel 10 is the context for Daniel receiving this fourth vision that I, we were talking about. Uh, and, it, and that vision is contained in 11 and 12. Um, it's, it's the longest, most detailed vision that Daniel has. Um, and it talks about, <clears throat> in general, the vision is, is similar to the other visions that Daniel has had. But it provides more detail, and it's a lot about the Antichrist, about his political decisions, about uh, religious attitudes, about what uh, military activity he's going, to, he's going to have, the great tribulation and Israel's deliverance. Um, but it also... Uh, unveils what's happening in the spirit realm when we pray. Uh, and it's one of the only chapters that does that. It reveals this conflict in the spirit uh, between high-ranking angels and high-ranking demons that manifest in earthly spheres, and it's motivated by our prayers. Um, so, so it's an especially profound message for, for one of the missions of the prayer room. Uh, it, it's not the only mission we do, but, but frankly, we are here engaging in prayer, and that is activating unseen forces that we'll see in Daniel that we, we don't even quite get. Uh, and so it's an insight as to what is going on right here that, that is very rare, very rich. Um, and the result of those conflicts influences decision-making on Earth, influences what's happening, influences political dimensions, economic dimensions, military dimensions, um, and... Uh, it's uh, right in part in parcel, right in agreement with the verse uh, in Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against uh, uh, flesh and blood. When we have conflicts with one another, uh, if, if, if you can keep your head about you, if I can keep my head about me, at some level we've got to realize, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
this is not about flesh and blood. This is not about this person here. There is something uh, else going on here. There are principalities, there's powers, there's rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts. And so that this Daniel is very much in keeping with what Paul was trying to tell us in Ephesians. Um, and so uh, we're going to see, uh, as we look through this, the need for prayer, uh, the power of prayer, and the cost of prayer. So that's why you'll see in the, the uh, notes kind of divided up that way. So he says, in those days, Daniel, uh, in those days I, Daniel, had been mourning. Uh, oh, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, um, a, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, and the message was true and a great conflict, but he understood the message. And he had an understanding of the vision. This, this I would call, if you read uh, papers, etc., uh, academic writings, etc., they'll have an abstract uh, sometimes. They'll have an executive summary. This is the executive summary about, about what we're about to read in these three chapters. So Daniel's saying that there was a message, uh, and it was great conflict, but I understood it, and I had this understanding of the vision. And I had been mourning now for three weeks, and I didn't eat any tasty food, or uh, I didn't eat any meat, no wine under my mouth, and I didn't use any ointment at all until the three weeks were completed. So we should ask ourselves, what was the source of the thing that drove Daniel to not eat any meat? By the way, it happens um, uh, on the 24th day of the first month while he's on the banks of the river Tigris. Uh, the first month is the month of Nisan uh, in, in the Jewish ancient writings. So there, it's kind of funny. I, I learned this this week. It's not like I've known this forever. But uh, Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. Everybody knows that. Uh, and you would think that that would start there, that the Rosh Hashanah in September-ish would be the first month. Not necessarily so. The way the ancients used to define the first month, it was the month where Passover occurred. And so in Daniel's case, that is that month. He is fasting. He's going without meat. He's going without drink in the first month, in the month of uh, Aviv, um, while when Passover takes place, he's fasting during Passover, which which is extraordinary, uh, because it, that is a major holiday for the Jews, and it would have been especially important for Daniel because he's been exiled. Remember, we, we got to go back and kind of wind back the the clock to remember that Daniel has been now in Babylon for over uh, for almost seventy years, o over seventy years taken there as a teenager, taken there about uh, Danny and Juliana and Danny's age and, and uh, Denise's age uh, into Babylon. He's been there for 70 years while the exile plays itself out. And Jeremiah tells them, look, plant vineyards and integrate yourself into society. You're going to be here a while by land, build, etc., and be a blessing to that community where you're there. So they do exactly that. And at the end of 70 years now, Babylon gets conquered by Persia. Cyrus is the king of Persia, and Cyrus says, you can go. Cyrus is led by the Spirit of God to say, you can go. First year of Cyrus, that happens. So now it's the third year of, of Cyrus, and, the, and, there, and Jews have gone back into Jerusalem. We read that in, in, um, in Ezra. So that, that's where Daniel's at. So what, what is the thing that would cause him to fast and to give up those things and to not wash during the month of Passover, what, what, what causes it? And it doesn't say exactly what, what it was, uh, that was that was driving him to that, but we can make a couple of really great guesses. 
Um, this is the fourth, this is the, uh, he's had now three major visions in his life, in his 70 year life. He's an old man now. He's like 80, mid 80s or so. Um, and it's likely that those uh, dreams that he's had from his youth until now, um, uh, where he's seen, the, now that he's seen the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy, where some of the Jews are now back in the land, 40,000 of them ish. Um, but, and yet he, um, he sees uh, that you know the complete fulfillment of the vision that I that uh, of the dream I interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar, the dream that I had myself, the dream of the ram and the goat. That's not hasn't been completely fulfilled yet. Um, it's easy to forget because we just read them on paper how intense these visions were. But when we go back and we read, we read the verse, for instance, that says in Daniel 7:28 that his thoughts were great when he had this vision. His thoughts were greatly alarming to him, uh, and his face grew pale, and he, but he kept the matter to himself, but he, he is obviously strongly impacted by this vision. It, it physically affects him. And later, it's even worse, in chapter 8, it says that he, in 827, he said, after that vision, I was sick and exhausted for days. I mean, Daniel, Daniel was, has this vision, and it, it marks him. And so uh, he's now uh, near the end of his life, and he knows it. And he's watching some of the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecies coming about. But that may be driving him to like, oh, Lord, what, what is going to happen with, this, with these visions that I have, the visions of, uh, of, that talk about the future? That's one possibility. And I think coupled with that is the very act of, of Israel, of uh, the uh, Jewish people going back uh, to Israel. Because again, it's the third year of Cyrus, right? Um, and so it's been just over two years. Um, Persians have conquered Babylon, uh, and he re and Cyrus releases the Jews to go back into uh, into uh, Jew into their homeland in Israel. Um, and uh, um, Daniel's still in Babylon. People ask why. It's not not a mystery to me. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, there's a couple of possibilities, but he's 87. It's a 700-mile journey. Um, you know, my my dad's 90. He barely walks down the street. You know, <laughs> he, I mean, 700 miles for an 87-year-old man is not likely to be something he's going to just leap on. And he's, I think, he's going to realize, no, this this is for another generation. I am to stay here and serve the king. The king may well have mandated that he stay there. The king of Persia. Daniel being such an asset with such experience, he's bringing such a depth of knowledge and such a depth of integrity as well. Um, but, uh, but he's hearing things. He's, he's monitoring the news. And so he's hearing that the Jews uh, are down there and they have built the altar and they have done sacrifice. We read all this in Ezra, in Ezra 3 and 4. They, uh, they have built the altar. They've done sacrifices on the altar. Um, and they have yet to lay the foundation. But when they laid the foundation for the temple, there was huge rejoicing because the finally, oh, we finally have a temple uh, foundation laid and the Levites and some of the uh, fathers of families, et cetera, some of the folks who have remembered what the temple looked like before are weeping loudly. And so there's this loud sound of weeping and this loud sound of rejoicing all coming together you know, and, and, it, and it makes a uh, cacophony, it makes a huge, uh, confusing sound that the people around pay attention to. And they, that brings opposition. What are you guys doing, et cetera? And he's hearing about this. It turns out that opposition is going to result in a letter to 
the Persian king that's going to pause the work for a while on that on that temple. That's also in, in Ezra. But when they um, when they uh, so so the discouragement of the workers and the fact that they're they're slow to get started and they're getting resistance, that's coming back to Daniel, and that may be driving him right to his knees. Asking, wait a minute, what? How is this going to actually work if these guys are actually not putting together the temple like like we thought we saw? But the bottom line was he's deeply troubled, um, so much so that he's fasting and mourning during this most important commemoration in Israel's history, talking about the Passover. Um, it drives him to his knees, and it, and he breathes out this prayer that might have been similar to what we read in in uh, what we read that way back in June. Um, uh, in chapter 9 where Daniel is repenting and he's uh, asking for forgiveness from the Lord for the sins of the nation it's a, it's a very powerful prayer he's humbling himself, he's mourning he's bringing himself before the Lord and you can read that prayer in chapter 9 it's very powerful but he decided ahead of time that this is going to be a 21 day focused intercession um, and, uh, and it ends up um, like I say right during the time of Passover he fasts during Passover. He fasts during the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He fasts during the, the uh, commemoration of First Fruits. Uh, all those things are happening right in that month. Um, so in Daniel 4 through 2, on the 24th day of the, first, of the first month, while I was on the bank of the Great River, interesting that they call the Great River Tigris here, because the Great River in Babylon is Euphrates. But he's on the, he's on the bank of another Great River, the Tigris, which is some distance to the... <clears throat> Uh, east. I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of gold of Uphaz. His body was like burl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches and his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his voice the sound of his words was like the sound of atonement. Um, you know uh, just a quick sideline, but during that bike trip, there there were times when we were in thunderstorms that were just so loud, and they were just so striking that you would just kind of like like all of us have done, I'm sure, go out and you just are in awe and frightened. I mean, both in awe and frightened at the same time at the power that, that you see around you. And sometimes I I would think I wonder if this is a little bit of what the tumult sounds like, what the voice of the Lord sounds like. Lord, can I hear? Can you help me to understand, you know, these thunderings? Are they saying something? Same thing with going to the coast and listening to the waves. You know, if you really listen to the waves and each one is different, the sound of that massive amount of water making this, bam, this, this huge noise. I'm thinking, is that the voice of God? And, and I, I think there's a part of it that is. The heavens declaring the voice, the wonders of God, etc. Um, but I, but I, that's kind of what it sounds like here when, when we hear the voice of the Lord. It's described as a voice of many waters in Revelation here. Uh, in, in Daniel, he's hearing it as a voice of a tumult. Uh, um, uh, and, oh, and so speaking of thunder being scary and, and attractive at the same time, Daniel alone sees the vision while the men who were with him did not see the vision. Nevertheless, they felt this dread and they ran away to hide themselves. <laughs> which I, I understand. Um, so he's down by the Tigris. What's he doing there? Perhaps he's on a work assignment. Uh, not, not exactly sure why he's there. He's there with others, though. 
Uh, so it may have been something where he's assigned to go and take care of, of this or that business away from Babylon, but, that's, but he's still at the, in the midst of his fasting. Um, and it's very soon after the Passover, and very soon after the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he sees this man dressed in linen. Um, and this vision is very similar to uh, several visions of, of one very significant vision of the Lord, of, the, of, uh, of Jesus in Revelation 1. But, uh, and so you, would think, you might think to yourself, as, as I was thinking to myself when I first read this, is that, is that Jesus? Here's, here's Revelation 1, 13. I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash, head and his hair were white like wool, uh, like snow, and his eyes are a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, when they had been made to glow in his furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound very similar to what Daniel was seeing? Uh, until we realize, and we were reading this maybe the, this time, this past week in the prayer room for, uh, I, I don't know what, what set it was or whatnot, but, but we were talking about the angels there. So in Revelation 10, 1, uh, we see a strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud and rainbows upon his head, and his face like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire, very similar as well. And he had a, in his hand a book which was open, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Revelation 15, 5. After these things I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and seven angels come out, and they each have a, uh, uh, who have each seven plagues. They come out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, girded across their chest with golden sashes. So, so this... Um, this seems to be the, the, the white, the golden sash uh, is, is a common description. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that's not happening. It's not Jesus saying, I was withheld, <laughs> I, was, I was resisted for 21 days in, yes. in, uh, in Babylon. So there's a couple of possibilities and, and uh, I, most commentators think he's seen an angel that is described very similar to the way that Jesus is described in Revelation. But there is another possibility, which is that he sees, he sees uh, the angel of the Lord, which is a frequent term for the pre-incarnate Christ, for, for Christ when he appears in the Old Testament before he takes on flesh. And he sees the pre-incarnate Christ, and he has a reaction. It takes the strength out of him, etc. And then uh, angel comes and does most of the ministry and most of the discussion and says, by the way, uh, and some people think it's Gabriel, but typically Gabriel um, identifies himself, but by the way, this has happened. I was resisted, etc. I, I was coming. Not, not sure what that is, but um, but uh, it could have been it could have been either, either one of those. But but it's a vision that knocks him to his face. It knocks him on the ground, like these visions tend to do. Um, only Daniel sees it. Um, he's left alone with the great vision, um, and he keeps saying repeatedly, "There is no strength in me. I've got no strength." Um, and he hears the sound of, the, of a person's words and it caused him to fall into a deep sleep on his face. Um, the angel touches him and, and sets him trembling on his hands and knees and he says, Oh Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright for I have been sent to you. And so Daniel stands upright, trembling. And he says, very key verse, from the first time, from the first 
day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. His words were heard. He fasted, he mourned, he was humbling himself. He set his face towards heaven. But the angel said it was because of your words that you were heard. Now, now those actions, the, the fasting, the mourning, the humbling, etc., the, the heart posture is really key. They set the context. But the words themselves, in this case, were what motivated that angel. Um, and they have power. I mean, that, that's the point of us in the prayer room. These, we don't see it hardly ever. <laughs> Most of the time, we never see the power of our words in prayer. And, and uh, many times, we don't even see the power of our words with one another. But they are super, super powerful. They make a difference. When Daniel, uh, when Daniel prayed, that angel was, God said, go. And that angel went, and he was resisted in this case. And in chapter 9, it was a much more immediate uh, encounter with Daniel. But in this case, he's resisted from the, by the prince of Persia. But these words have power. They have, they have power to move an unseen, uncreated, omnipotent God. Our words. I mean, that, that's what we come into this room to do. And, and how, how astounding is that, that, that we get to say words we form sounds with our mouth and, and they move heaven. It, it, it's, it's undeniable that it's happening here and it's undeniable it's happening in our lives even though we are, we are weak and tired and grumpy, you know, <laughs> all those things happen. Uh, but the same thing with one another. Our, our words, they can wound, they can heal, uh, encourage and discourage one another. They can change somebody's entire day. You've had that happen to you. I've had it happen to me. I've seen it happen in other people where one word can, can basically turn somebody right around. They were, they were heading uh, in a downward spiral. It brings them up. And then the opposite happens as well. One coarse word, one uh, uh, foul word, one angry tone, one insult, etc., takes you down, and, and you can remember that for life. Um, I have a friend who uh, was raised in a, in a pretty horrible situation. His father daily would basically tell him how worthless he was uh, from the time he was a young boy and uh, uh, over and over and over again that basically was ruining his life until a football coach uh, sent him to a seminar. He's not a believer. He was not a believer at the time. I sent him to a session on something called the power of positive thinking. You guys remember when they used to have them? Maybe they still do have those things. Um, and he went, and it changed his life. He, he started to do what the scriptures talk about in terms of taking thoughts captive when they come. When they come in there, he says, I don't have to actually believe that thing. I can encapsulate that and evaluate it and decide yes or no. And it was powerful. He's 14 years old when this happens. And, and it changed his life. And, and there, the way he was describing it, he says there was a time when my, when my father would come and insult me, and he would say, he would say, you can say that all you want, uh, but I don't believe it anymore. And, and it was, I mean, a 15-year-old uh, kid at that point, it was powerful. And he's doing what, what Carla was singing about, actually, earlier today, where she sang for some 15-some minutes about breaking shame, you know, breaking the culture of shame off of us, breaking the way that we keep, uh, keep our self-talk about, about who we are. 
We don't realize that, that we, that you are people of high esteem. You are highly esteemed. That, that's who you are. That's, that's who Daniel was. And we think, well, yeah, but, but that was Daniel, you know? That was, that was the dude who, you know, fasted in front of the emperor of the universe and, uh, at that time, you know, in Babylon. And he went through the fiery furnace and came out without a scratch. Or, or no, that wasn't Daniel. But I mean, he went through the lion's den and, uh, and came out without a scratch. You know, certainly Daniel, no wonder he's highly esteemed. He did all these things. Uh, and when we think that way, we stumble over the stumbling stone. We stumble over the stone that says, I've got to accomplish a certain body of, of, of uh, accomplishments before I'll ever be considered highly esteemed. And it's wrong. It's false. You're highly esteemed. You are beloved. You said yes to the Lord of the universe, and he's embraced you, and you walk with that, with that description right now. You are highly esteemed. Another word for highly esteemed, by the way, is precious. You know, that, that's why these Song of Solomon sets that, that are happening on, on uh, Friday are so cool. I mean, they're, they're awesome. They're, they're influential. They're, they're, they're transforming in terms of our thoughts because we're, they're singing through. They're only, what, eight, eight verses into the first chapter or something like that, or six, eight, eight to six verses into the first chapter, but they're singing over and over again the love songs of the, of the groom to the bride. And, and you start to believe that you yourself are the bride. And so uh, it's, it's a little weird for guys, Mike and, and, uh, and Danny and Danny and Bob, it's a little weird for guys to say, you know, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. But, but when you start to um, realize that that's, that's who you are, you're beloved to the Lord and all the women are sons of God anyway. So, you know, it, it actually works out really well that way. Anyway, that's, um, uh, that's, that's the power of words. Um, the, uh, the things that we throw around sloppily every day, the words that we do, um, are able to move heaven. Um, and they tipped the outcome. Those words made a difference in the outcome of hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, between uh, angels and demons, in favor of the angels. Um, uh, so the angel comes uh, and his words, and as soon as Daniel heard them, he goes into a deep sleep, and then he rises up on his feet, and then he hears these astonishing words. From the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to those words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia uh, was, was withstanding me for 21 days, and then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia, and now I have come to you to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. So Daniel hears these words, he turns his face to the ground, and he has no words, he's speechless. Um, and the angel touches his lips, and he immediately opens his mouth just enough to, to start to say how <laughs> miserable and wretched he is. He, you know, he basically says, look, anguish has come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can someone like me, someone like you talk to somebody like me he gets just enough strength to describe how little strength he's got. And this angel uh, responds with the statement and strengthens him yet again, and touches him yet again, and he strengthens him. And that's when he calls him highly esteemed once more. Um, so, uh, um, 
So, yeah, anyway, I've, I've talked a little bit about taking every thought captive, and the second, that's 2 second Corinthians verse 10. Um, but what Daniel does in Daniel 10, he gives us insight into what happens in the spirit realm when we pray. So when we pray, we maybe unknowingly enter into a conflict in the spirit, in the spirit within angels and demons. I mean, I, I say unknowingly because I, I don't know and I, I hear very rarely prayers in here that are directly um, engaging in that conflict. And I'm not exactly sure we're supposed to. Daniel didn't. He, he was unaware that that conflict was happening. He's praying for understanding. He doesn't realize that that prayer for understanding is fueling this, this conflict, this battle between angels and, and demons, uh, and that it's showing up in earthly results. Um, there are angels and, and uh, there are uh, demons over countries and over cities. One of the uh, commentators I saw, I mean, uh, uh, one of the Jewish commentators that I saw online talked about how there are, they, they talked about 70 uh, countries, it's really 260, but it's, they said, you know, the ancients used to believe there were like 70 countries and a major principality for each one. And, and they said that's why uh, Daniel was having trouble because he was outside of, of Michael's principality uh, and he was uh, in a principality governed by another power. And so that was, that was a Messianic Jewish uh, commentator. Um, and I, I think you know, there, there's, there's some truth in that. There are principalities, there are powers over geographic areas. Um, and so uh, I think in a very way, in a very real way, what we do in the prayer room is very much like Aaron and Hur, who had to hold Moses' arms up. Remember that when Joshua is fighting, when, Ye when Yeshua is fighting down in the, in the valley, when, uh, when Moses' arms were up, Joshua was successful. And when, when his arms got tired, uh, Joshua would be defeated. And so Aaron and Hur would hold their arms up, and if Aaron and Hur got tired, then Joshua would be defeated again. That, that very much is the model of what we are doing in the prayer room, uh, in, in each of our little areas. <clears throat> um, Daniel didn't know what was going on, though. He's, he's asking for, he's repenting. He's asking God to have mercy on Jerusalem, on Israel. Um, and he's asking that their reproach might be uh, uh, removed. But the product of his prayers, uh, that what they do there is they release angels and they release demons in the heavenlies. Um, so the cost of prayer, the type of prayer that Daniel's involved in is, is costly. Um, he was discouraged and he was in despair even before this period of mourning. He was in such turmoil, he, all he could do was, was fast and pray, even if it cost him the loss of the celebration of that, of that huge holiday in, in Jerusalem. When he finally did engage in prayer, it cost him a lack of food, deep mourning, um, separation from some of the major social events of the day. It was, it was costly for him in that way. Um, you know, and, and Daniel, uh, again, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that he fasts over Passover because none of us would choose. I don't think, I mean, as much as Lou Engle has chosen to fast, I don't think he's ever fasted over Thanksgiving. None of us would fast over Thanksgiving. I, none of us would choose that, that to fast. I, I used to wrestle one year in high school. I wrestled. Um, wrestling is a cruel sport because it takes place in the winter, and you have to maintain, you have to get to a particular weight in order to successfully wrestle. I weighed about 160. I was wrestling 155. I had to lose five pounds during the holidays. And so 
I couldn't eat Thanksgiving, I couldn't eat Christmas, I couldn't eat, and mostly I did anyway. <laughs> but I, and I would try and just sweat it off. I used to wear these rubber suits, and you'd dump the water out, I mean, your sweat out. It was horrible. I wasn't a very good wrestler, but I, I, I just admire slash wonder how insane they are for wrestlers that wrestle during the during this holidays because they are choosing a sport that denies them that pleasure. Very few of us would uh, would volunteer to fast during Thanksgiving unless the Lord indicates I would really like you to fast. And very few of us would deny the Lord when He says that if He makes it clear. Every person in this room would do that fast if the Lord made it clear to him. Uh, I, I just know that and and so would I and so what I think is happening is I think Daniel uh, actually had a um, an impression from the Lord that it's time to fast I think it was undeniable for him and the reason I think that is because again it's happening during Passover it's happening during the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's a seven-day period right after Passover it happens during the Feast of, of First Fruits and the Feast of First Fruits uh, in Hebrew the word for it uh, it just happened that Happened that we received our Israel My Glory magazine this this uh, month, and it talks about the feasts of Israel, and it's talking about this feast of first fruits, which is happening right during the time when Daniel is fasting, and it says the first fruits in Hebrew is is uh, the word for it in Hebrew is called bikurim, and it actually means promise to come, um, meaning in the harvest you're harvesting the first fruits with a promise of a major harvest at the end. But also, uh, you can see that Daniel is, is engaging with these angels in a way he doesn't even understand. He's going during Passover, which talks about the promise to come, the promise of the Messiah to come to Israel, the promise of, of that small rock that's actually going to grow into a major stone and, and be the stone that, in the vision that Daniel saw and with Nebuchadnezzar, be the kingdom of God that takes over. He's, he's seeing this thing and he's fasting right during the fast of, of first fruits. Just like 1 Corinthians 15 says, now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, also by man came the resurrection of, of the dead. Um, so beyond that, uh, his prayers were answered. He was weakened to the point where he couldn't stand and, and he falls to the ground and only with great effort does he as he gets strengthened. Um, the, the vision that he receives causes this great weakening. You, you, he, it, it was costly for him. Um, so we, we look at this chapter, and I'm not going through uh, every, every verse, but, but what we see here is that it gives meaning and support for what we're doing here day by day in the prayer room. Um, the intercession and support for angelic pushback that's not the only things we do. Um, it's, it's not even a major part of our mission statement, really. But, but it is a part. Um, I mean, there's a reason why we're here in this place. Uh, I mean, in this place in Livermore, where in our history we've moved from, from uh, Dublin to Pleasanton to Danville to Livermore. We, we've moved within a relatively small, relative to the 50-mile radius, a relatively small uh, 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 center um, uh, in this place uh, where, where it encapsulates San Francisco and Silicon Valley and parts of Modesto and you know political uh, influences worldwide. 
There's no place like San Francisco in the world. It's, it's the most visited city in the world. Silicon Valley, oh my goodness. You know, it's, it's influencing everything that's going on in the world right now, and that's within our 50-mile radius. That, that's within the area where we, when we pray, angels and demons are, are loosed. <clears throat> um, and, and so it's not the only thing we do. I mean, coming to him and sitting at his feet with no particular agenda in mind, that's right. And that's good. Um, giving him worship because he's worthy, uh, that, that's true. That's right. And we, and we do that. But there's times when we need to have the visual that Daniel's giving us here, where, he, where there's angels warring, where they are supported by the words that we form, the very words that we form, somehow that, that energizes the angelic combat, and not just and and not just here, not just over this 50-mile radius, but other areas that, that have been the focus of our attention over over Israel. Uh, we prayed over Korea, over Iran. We pray for uh, Iran routinely. We pray for Afghanistan routinely, and those areas have each their own principality. And we are simply praying, asking the Lord to to be uh, victorious in that area. And that is raising up the, the arms of the angels and they are, they're battling on behalf. And sometimes that visual really helps us. I, I wrote down, sometimes we need to pray that the eternal God of the East Bay sends angelic support to fight the usurping prince of the East Bay. I, I kind of like that line just because this inter, eternal God of the East Bay has been such a theme uh, for, for us. Um, so finally, uh, note our expectations and note Daniel's expectations. Um, you know, all that fasting and praying that Daniel did, it, it didn't change the outcome of circumstances that we read about. I mean, they may have, they may have, uh, there may have been impact, but there's nothing that's reported in the Bible as though that's the point. In other words, Daniel, Daniel's praying, fasting, mourning, he has an angelic visitation, and, and bottom line is circumstances are the same. You know, so, so you ask yourself, well, what was the product of Daniel's prayers? What, what was the outcome? Why in the world was he praying if there's not going to be a change in the circumstances? If, if things are not going to change in the circumstances? And Daniel, the outcome, the product, so to speak, that he got was understanding. That's what he got. That's what his deliverance, his deliverance was. He says it right here in the very first paragraph. He goes, I, uh, I got this message. It was true. It was a great conflict. But I understood the message, and I had an understanding of the vision. And that's what I received from the angel. And that's what the angel gave him. That's what the angel fought for 21 days to deliver to Daniel. Daniel, I am fighting for you. From the moment you prayed, I have been fighting for you to come and to bring you understanding. So that you would be able to understand, because there is something really, really important and strengthening and making you be able to stand up when you understand when you actually agree and understand with what's going on. So it's important to the Lord that I give you this understanding. And so in chapter 11, he's going to give, he's going to give some detail about the visions that he's seen in the past three, uh, three times that, um, I mean, that is maybe a little overreaching. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of detail in chapter 11 about the, about the coming future events, and it's just astounding. Um, but that... That prayer that we can pray about asking for understanding is a prayer that God takes really seriously. That, that's the message here. Uh, he takes it seriously in Daniel's, Daniel's case. He takes it seriously in our case. Um, where you know David said he wants to know God's ways and he wants to see how, 
how uh, God operates. I want to understand your ways. Show me your ways. It's repeated in psalm after psalm after psalm. Um, and so sometimes, you know, we, we get into the clean air of the, of the mountaintop with the Lord, so to speak. I mean, maybe a literal mountaintop. But I'm talking about in a, in a place of prayer where the Lord's voice is so clear, kind of like what Carla did for us from 6 to 7 today. Um, and we, we wonder, how could there be any doubt? How could we even, under, how could we even have a question? This is so, so precisely clear. How, this is so clear, um, and yet, you know, uh, we go off the mountaintop, we go down into the world with all the inputs and all the things pushing and pulling at us, and we easily get discouraged, we easily get weakened, we easily get confused, um, and yet we're not made for the mountaintops yet. We're, we're supposed to be down in the world. That's where, that's where the Lord has left us. That was Jesus' request, but he supports God supports over and over again our earnest desires for, for clarity. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about um, and we'll talk a lot. Probably it probably cost us two sessions in chapter eleven to get through it in chapter twelve and and we'll finish up uh, finish up Daniel. Uh, but let let me just uh, pray for us. God, you are amazing that you set your kingdom up to be fueled by words that you made us a, a species that communicates to one another with words that we communicate uh, and we uh, relate to one another with words and we relate to you and you respond to our words it's astounding God it is simply astounding we said yes to you we said the word yes to you and you came rushing in and you saved us and you transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into light with a word. And Lord Jesus, you are the Logos. You are the word. You are the very word of God, made flesh. I thank you, Lord, for the power of prayer. I thank you, Lord, for this prayer room. I ask you, Lord, to uh, give us an occasional understanding of what it is that we do here day by day when, when things seem routine or when things seem uh, just uh, every day the same. Lord, we want to understand how we work into your plan, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of just interacting with you and seeing angels and demons move on our behalf. In Jesus' name. If you're on the worship team, come on up.